The only thing that I can think of for it to be fair is to just vote. So you don't know what you're talking Shut about. Shut up. Alice? I already consider you my sister. Yes. Thank you. A vote yes. It would be nice to not want to kill you all the time. Huh. Mm. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry to both of you for how I've acted. And I'm really grateful that you were brave enough to go and save my brother. But this isn't a life I would have chosen for myself. And I wish that there had been someone to vote no for me. So, no. Welcome to part two of our New Moon episode. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect on their exclusive patron feed. And we also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. Alex, this is it. Part two of Twilight, which leads into part three of Twilight Eclipse. That's not going to be on the main feed, though. That's going to be a very special quick video review from both of us. Not both of us at the same time, both of us separately. So you're going to watch the movie and record your reaction in, in three segments, like we do on these quick video mm-hmm. reviews, and I'll do the same. And then I guess we'll find out how the other one felt when we watch each other's videos, <laughs> along with the rest of our patrons. Um, sounded like a fun way to go about it. Uh, hopefully patrons agree. And then we'll come back to the main feed for Breaking Dawn, the final chapter. So that's what you can expect on the side of QVRs. Also, as far as the the exclusive bonus episode, uh, this time picked by patron and comrade in podcasting, Chaz Fisher. Uh, He is making us do Dangerous Liaisons. That's just on the patron feed. Uh, Alex forced once again to watch a period piece. This time starring John Malkovich, Michelle Pfeiffer, Glenn Close, a whole bunch of other people. Alex, are you ready to venture back into the the old times again? Sure. Let's let's do it. One of these days it's gotta stick. One of these days it's gotta work for me. I mean, in a way, we ventured into the <laughs> into a few centuries ago when uh, we did Lighthouse just last episode. So this we just true. keep kind of like reaching back. And then of course, patrons of every tier have access to our uh our cutting room floor segments, you get all the stuff that didn't make it into the episode, all the bashing of uh, Taylor Lautner that didn't make it into the episode, you'll find it there. Uh, you'll also see our uh, pre-recording notes, and you'll also find extra side projects that we have, like the Roxena extravaganza, the five-part Roxena extravaganza that we did mm-hmm. for the last couple months, and also our uh, the finale of our summer break uh, trilogy that started with... Uh, <laughs> Days and Confused in the main feed, the Goofy movie on both feeds, and then ended with White Hot American Summer on the Patreon feed. All that stuff, and then, of course, Contrarians After Hours. That's a spin-off of our show where we talk about other things that we've been playing, watching, listening to, thinking about. Alex, what do you have for Contrarians After Hours this time? Thinking about? That's new. Now we can like add some existential shit to this. Uh, <laughs> well, I gotta take it like every time that you go on a trip and you come back with your your stories about the trip, that also tells us a lot about your your mental state. That's very fair. That's very true. Um, I have two movies that I'll be bringing to After Hours. I recently watched the Netflix exclusive The Polka King with Jack Black. Um, and Julio, have you ever heard of The Passion of the Christ? Yes. <laughs> I've heard of The Christ, and I've heard of The Passion, and I've heard of the movie that they, they made about it. Remember our friend Mike, who sent me uh, Left Behind on Blu-ray? Yes. He sent Very me appreciated, another- Mike. Yes, yes. Mike sent me another package of uh, wrestling paraphernalia, and inside of it was the DVD of The Passion of the Christ. <laughs> and so... Uh, but the note said, please watch The Poker King. No, these are completely separate things, but uh, I figured at some point in my life I would watch The Passion of the Christ, and I figured this is as good of reason to do so, so we'll we'll talk about that. Um, Ooh, wow. 
this this is gonna get heavy in after hours. Well, we'll try to keep it as light as possible because I think at this point I'm an outlier. I'm almost positive that anyone in this world that wants to see the Passion of the Christ has seen it. You know what I mean? So uh, I don't think we're gonna be like breaking ground. And I think my plan is for us to just talk about it from an analytical film making perspective as opposed to diving into the, ideology. the Bible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'll, I don't know that you can have a conversation about the movie without at least trying to figure out what the hell it's trying to say. So there will be a little bit That's of fair. ideology discussion, at least on my end. But no, I look forward to that. I, I can't wait to... I mean, it's not like I would ever rewatch that movie, but once was enough... And that can fuel a conversation about it. Yeah. All right. On my end, Alex, you're talking about commitment. Um, I am committing to watching these two movies before we record the after hours. Because we just talked like, you know, we just recorded two days ago. And it's it's been busy and I was mm-hmm. a little sick. So, uh, But I mentioned a while ago that I had uh, showtime for a month because I, I got showtime to to watch the the lighthouse and so there's a movie on showtime that i've been hearing about for at least a year it's called first cow it's directed by kelly reichert who is a filmmaker that i hear a lot about and i've only seen one of her movies but she's made a bunch um i watched meek's cutoff a while ago it's a western with uh michelle williams in it she's kind of like the main character and it was uh I mean, if I'm assuming that this is what all Kelly Riker movies are like, I'm like, I get it. I get the praise. And it seems like it's right up my alley. I also understand that it's not for everybody. It's not like mainstream cinema, you know, because it's really slowly paced mm. and it's not very explicit about what it's saying. But I don't even know what First Cow is about. But that's quite the name. And it was it was getting a fair amount of buzz. I think it was last year when it came out. Uh, and then the other thing I'm committing to is something that I've been wanting to watch for a while. I don't know about you, Alex, but I've become more and more of a fan of uh, Dakota Johnson. She's really good, like in everything I've seen her in. Uh, and now she is in this uh, movie from this year. It's called Cha Cha Real Smooth. Yet another great title. That was an Apple TV. I think it's an Apple TV original, but it's also been getting a lot of buzz. And it's like, you know what? I don't need to, uh, you need to convince me to watch a Dakota Johnson movie. I'll happily do it. So this is Cha Cha Real Smooth. First Cow and The Polka King uh, with Jack Black on Netflix, and then The Passion of the Christ, which I guess that will be our, our big closer. A very heavy, very potentially gory after hours, and all the other stuff that we listed. If any of it tickled your fancy, check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Prime. Check our tiers. I said the dollar tier gets you access to the bonus episodes and a few other things, and then you can just keep going up. And, and have access to more things and have access to, to things that can shape the show. It's a good time if you're a fan of The Contrarians. $1, $3, $5, and $10 are respective tiers. Julio already said it. $1, four quarters, 100 pennies, 20 nickels. You can't get much for a buck these days. Even a McDouble is $1.99. So throw us a buck. Explore around. If you're not already a patron, there's so much to catch up on from our very first patron episode covering Blue is the Warmest Color to the 12 hours plus of Roxena material that we've posted in addition to all of our after hours discussions, notes, QVRs, all that good shit. Check it out. To our patrons currently, we love y'all. We enjoy the work we do for y'all because we know you enjoy it. And uh, to those who are listening and are curious about it, we recommend taking the plunge. The most you have to lose is a buck. So check it out. Let us know what you like. Even if there's something you don't care for, hit us up either on our Patreon or at wearethecontrarians at gmail.com. And now, now. Julio. <laughs> yes. The fucker who wrote Rogue One, (laughs) which has become the definitive hipster movie, like the hipster nerd take of the modern era is the people that say Rogue One is the best Star Wars movie. But for those people, the gentleman who wrote that, Chris White's along with uh, co-writer Tony Gilroy, but Chris White's directed Twilight New Moon. So... You fuckers 
if you want to stand by your man, need to check this one out. <laughs> <laughs> and in a way, you have to check out the one that came before, and you're going to have to watch the one that comes after, because this ends on a cliffhanger. Well, the one that came before is better, and I hope the one that comes after is better, because this isn't that good. Um, oh, straight, straight for the jugular. Is it the Taylor Lautner factor? It's that, and it's... Let me see if I can... I want to get my words right, because I I gave it one and a half stars on Letterboxd. My review is something to the effect of uh, offensively long for a movie that still has three installments left in its franchise. Like it's a series of five movies. And the second one is two hours and 10 minutes long. Uh, that runtime, you feel it. If you're like me and do not give a shit about the Taylor Lautner side of the story. And <laughs> I need to be clear about this. I call it out on our Patreon episode and I call it out every time this guy comes up, I joke around and say, he's like a, he's, he's not like a Sam Worthington level fraud, but he's like, <laughs> he's just, he was a hot guy that had abs and got cast to be a hot guy in a hot guy movie. And he did a few other things that weren't good. His SNL was like skin crawlingly bad. He just wasn't cut out for acting, man. But he was hot and made the bag, dude. I don't know if anyone in like modern time, uh, and by that I mean like 2000, let's say 2005 onward, who made as much money and had as big of a momentary impact with as little ability as he did from, you know, an acting perspective. And that is commendable. <laughs> that is something I respect is like just accenting your positives and then just not giving a shit. Otherwise, I mean, he has he offers nothing. He has no screen presence. <laughs> no, like there's no magnetism about him at all. Jesus. He's just it's um, I, I could not get off my phone when there was shit with him on the screen. Like I was still taking notes. <laughs> I was paying attention. But like. He's, it's the Matt Fox joke from Knocked Up. Oh, Taylor Lautner, you know what's interesting about him? Nothing. It's just... <laughs> all right. Well, I, I say all I this wanna... with respect because he he has more money than I could even dream of having. And he, he did it. He can pay just... anyone to just come and kick your ass. Exactly. He could buy like he could buy this podcast and I'd, you know, <laughs> for fairly cheap. And I'd be like, all right, take it, man. <laughs> New $10 tier patron, Taylor Lautner. <laughs> Uh, I say with respect because, uh, you know, he was just hot and that was his thing and he got hitched to the right wagon. Um, and you know, never, I don't, I don't want to say never because the other two major parts of this franchise are now celebrated actors. Mm -hmm. So who knows? He, maybe, yeah. Maybe it was just the material because we were critical of how hilariously like stilted Pattinson and Stewart seemed in the first one. And so maybe as this goes on, I'll warm up to this guy. It's just kind of like one of those things of history will show that it was a kind of interesting footnote for this this gentleman. But I guess the, the point is he doesn't annoy me like Sam Worthington because I've never seen this guy try to act like he's more than he is. You know what I mean? He's just he's just a dude, and that's cool. I think he's still, he makes paychecks off the Happy Madison movies every once in a while still, so good for yeah. him. Yeah. You picture uh, Sandler giving him the the Ving Rhames speech in Pulp Fiction, where he's like, if it was going to happen for you, it would have already happened. So just take this money and take the dive <laughs> into a Happy Madison production. <laughs> First of all, unbelievable reference. <laughs> <laughs> That tremendous. Well, I you know before we get into the quotes, I just I just want to on the subject of Taylor Lautner, and this is not the last we're gonna talk about him, but I am not quite ready to bury him yet. I mm. think that the next movie is going to determine it because I think That's that, uh, it, and we'll 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 talk about this, but I I think that this movie sets him up in a way that I just it was unwinnable and. Uh, I don't think he has good chemistry with Kristen Stewart and that it's almost in a way beyond his control. I I just don't know. I don't know how much of this is on him and how much of it is just that, you know, a poorly structured, poorly like planned out character. And uh, this, 
this is why this movie was so like important to people that had read all the books and shit. Because if I had just seen the first one and then watched this, I'd be like, what the fuck is this? Like, I, I'm invested <laughs> in uh, Edward and Bella. I don't give a shit about this guy. And and it's not just that. It's like Edward Brother Pattinson's only in like thirty minutes of this movie. Yep. <laughs> Big bait and switch. Um, okay, <laughs> before we get to that, Alex, let me let me read you some some positive quotes. There are some people that didn't mind it. gave it gave it red tomatoes in the tomato. Uh, I w- I think that's kind of clear considering it made seven hundred and ten million dollars. <laughs> yeah, but but I, I think there are some people that are just hate watching it too. That's fair. I need to go home. I'm. I was feeling sick before the movie. All right. I'll start with uh, Amanda the Jedi from the YouTube channel Amanda the Jedi. I guess <laughs> it says Twilight brought us the melodrama. New Moon captured depression. If only Bella had given up on Jacob and Edward and lived happily with Alice instead. I would watch that movie. Yeah. I would watch it if they decided to make it today. I don't know. I don't know that Ashley Green has gone on to do much, but. I th- I think that she could probably still conjure that uh, pretty cool personality that she has here as Alice. I am I alone? Did you did you like Alice? Uh, yeah. I was kind of confused about them trying to make her like the lead Cullen in this one. I, I guess again, yes. I think there's something lost in translation from you know the page to the screen, but that that kind of confused me. Yeah, those those eight minutes in the extended cut more than likely are actually uh, Bella and Alice, I don't know, shopping together or, <laughs> I don't know, just hanging out. So the, it, it actually makes more sense that she would be writing her emails throughout the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Emails that bounce back. Owned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's persistence. <clears throat> Next, Laramie Legal from Film.com says... So long as there are people, there will be love stories. I hope they all feel as lush and lively as this one. Uh, I don't know about lively, but lush. That's another thing. It didn't even it didn't even look as good as the first one to me. Yes, they completely dropped the color palette from from the last mm-hmm. one. From the it, there was no blue overtones. Uh, it was just shot like a pretty movie, but that was it. Like what happened, Chris White's? It's like he didn't watch the previous movie. It's like, fuck it. <laughs> oh, they're vampires? Um, next, John Wirt from The Advocate, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. For true Twilight believers, the slow moments are more opportunity to gaze at pretty boy young men playing characters who are both the best and worst boyfriends a girl could ever have. Yeah. Do you remember, Alex, the kind of... Uh, a controversy, but there were there were people that around this time they started calling out the older women who were fans of the franchise because they were ogling Taylor Lautner, who was supposed to be a teenager. Do you remember that kind of discourse going around? No, I imagine that would be much more heightened today. But <laughs> I remember at the time. I mean, just in people saying like jokingly calling them perverts. I don't think that they ever got beyond that. At least not, you know. <laughs> At our theater, but I remember it coming up, and I was like, "Oh, they are teenagers." I mean, I didn't know. And then finally, Sarah Vilcomerson from The Observer says, "I am not ashamed to admit that I will be the first in line for Twilight Part Three. Uh, I mean, that's kind of us. We are watching the third one. Yeah, <laughs> but that's it. I mean, it it hooked its audience, and I guess anybody that watched New Moon had already read Eclipse." I imagine. So they knew that, you know, there's more to come. Like, what do we know? Not having read the books and having watched this movie, it's kind of like what you said in the first corner. We know that there's going to be a werewolf vampire fight in our future that has to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, potentially multiple werewolves versus multiple vampires. And I have a feeling that they're all going to join forces against. Uh, Michael Sheen and his posse of Italian vampires. And uh, if we get lucky, Dakota Fanning is going to kill Jacob. If we are unlucky, uh, Michael Sheen is going to kill Billy Burke. And then uh, (laughs) anything goes. I don't know. I don't know what role Anna Kendrick and the rest of the high school posse are going to play 
And yeah, uh, I just hope it's I hope it picks up because like this was this was demoralizing because like the first one, while not a good movie and a movie I had really have any interest in watching ever again in my life, I think in, in our episode on Patreon we talk about like I came away from that like yeah this is fun it's like I kind of get it and you know it's kind of a fun little footnote to see this like a list cast and even you know some of the um, side players or actors that we've become acquainted with through our podcast so there was a lot of fun like connect the dots type things going on and God knows Pattinson and Stewart are two of my favorite actors now uh, with this one I was just like Ugh. like I. It just the story was so repetitive and blatant, and then the characters I enjoyed being around in the first one—not just Edward, but like his family mm-hmm. and um, more of the people around school and stuff—I did. I like. I, I was genuinely uh, loving Anna Kendrick's like one showcase scene. Again, it's like thirty yeah. or forty seconds, but it's it's great. Um, but. I guess that's the point of it being a franchise. I can say so far, the first one I had a good time with. This one focused on things that I don't care at all about in the story. So when it was over, one, I felt its runtime, and two, I was like, God, I hope they bounce back in the next one. Yeah, I think that even not having read the books, I would walk away. I I did walk away. I mean, I know a couple things that have a really like general idea of something you know where things go in this couple of movies just from things that I've heard from people that I'm not gonna tell you because if you happen to know I've heard them then that's that's good but uh even be- without that I would say that for all its failures and New Moon has many of them uh, at the very least I walk away thinking all right well we're gonna see we're definitely going to see Michael Sheen at Cut of Fanning again and it looks like I doubt that Edward's going to be absent from the next movies again. And uh, I don't think, at least I could be wrong, but I don't think that the movie is trying to make me think that Jacob's a good guy. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think they probably the movie wants me to dislike him as much as I do. But I, I like that the movie, I guess I was relieved that the movie kind of made him act like a shithead because for most of the runtime I was afraid that I was supposed to be rooting for Jacob and Bella to get together and I'm like man that sucks if if on top of everything that the movie is doing wrong I just have this antipathy towards Taylor Lautner that is just keeping me from from doing that but but no then by the end he's actually just being like an idiot and I was happy that well next movie hopefully you know they double down on that again or they give him a way to redeem himself that it's Somewhat like, you know, I wasn't kidding. Like, I, I felt that Edward's decision to leave town and break up with Bella was okay. <laughs> was much better than any of the other things he did in the in the previous movie. W- would you agree with that, even though it took us, it, it took Robert Pattinson away from us? Or were you still thinking, yeah, this this is not a good relationship? Yeah, I mean, my whole thing was just, it's, she's just using him as a rebound. So I was... I had a hard time like buying into anything that was going on in my mind. Again, having zero knowledge of what actually happens in these movies, I was like, as soon as Edward appears again, he's she's just gonna like run back into his arms, and that's literally what happened. <laughs> she literally ran <laughs> across the globe. <laughs> yes, I know it's a movie about vampires and werewolves and curses and shit. But I still was just like, come on when they just leave the house and then they're in Italy in the next scene. It's like, you need passports and shit for this people. (laughs) Well, I'm going to assume that Alice is well-prepared as somebody who's lived for probably a hundred years. She has like <laughs> very fair, very fair. Yeah, uh, but also, didn't you did you miss? Because I was about to reference. Did you miss the insert shot of a Virgin Airlines flight just flying? Yes, a, I did. Yeah, it's adorable. They get in the car and then it fades to a uh, you know the, an airplane and the tail of the airplane says Virgin, which just I laugh because is Virgin Airlines even around anymore? I don't know if it is anymore. It would have been then, though. That's that's fucking hilarious. I didn't catch that. Yeah, and then well the, and then you cut to the then you cut to the the yellow car that Alice is driving, and it's I it's I did amazing. like legit lose it. Like when she looked like a getaway driver for a bank robbery, <laughs> I I was laughing very hard. Yeah, yeah. Alice is good. She's she's good in this movie, despite the how how they rushed her friendship with Bella. Um, 
All right. So 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 Jacob. Jacob's the main problem here. <laughs> to clarify, it does look like uh, Virgin Atlantic is still a commercial airline, specifically in uh, in Britain. It, it obviously needs UK. to get on more movies because I was not aware of that. <laughs> it had to be a connecting flight because it, yeah, it seems to be a British airline head office in Crawley, England. So maybe they connected, like in <laughs> I don't know <laughs> Hull. So they took they took Southwest to uh, <laughs> yeah they took Southwest and they no they took like Air Canada to Toronto at the international airport there <laughs> and then. No, if they're in Washington, then it would probably have been like um, Vancouver probably has an international airport. I don't know. Either way, they get there in record time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They didn't just map travel, though. You get to see the flight. God bless. I'm guessing you didn't rent this car? I figured you wouldn't be opposed to Grand Theft Auto. Not today. Okay, so Taylor Lautner, Jacob, clearly the 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 lowest point of the franchise for us so far. Could this work? Could this have worked if you had a different actor playing Jacob? Or, as I was saying a little bit ago, it's a losing proposition no matter what. That that you structure your movie this weird way where you spend an entire movie, Twilight, building up the relationship between Belle and Edward, and then on this movie, you write Edward out and you kind of like have to start from scratch again between Bella and and Jacob, and all the, the whole time, like you said, knowing that this is kind of going nowhere because Edward's going to come back at some point. It's Robert Pattinson. <laughs> Dog, if we've learned anything from this podcast, it's that if you got a good enough actor, they can make any role work. Like, I'm trying to think of who would have been like a young kid that they could have put in this role. Uh, I mean, he wasn't young, but I'm just thinking like, yeah, like Chris Evans or someone like that in a role like this. It's like. If they're good enough, then it'll temporarily distract you from like the issues at hand. Or if they're good enough, you might find them as charming as your protagonist does, even if the situation is flawed. That's the whole thing about like Sid and Nancy, for example. It's like those characters. Uh, I forget who plays Nancy in that, but Gary Ullman and shit. It's like they're such good actors and so convincing in what they do. There's parts that it's like, oh, they're meant for each other, even though it's like this horrible situation. And in this, it's the same thing of like, if you had someone compelling and I'm sorry to pick on Taylor Lautner, but someone that's just like buyable and someone that I'm not just like, fuck off, even <laughs> if the situation is bad. Yeah, um, I I feel bad because really I don't. You know, I, I feel bad because it's not like I have a wealth of knowledge about his filmography to where I can just say, like, look, this is where it's coming from. I don't like Taylor Lautner for all these reasons. <laughs> I don't have we'll that. Be, when we reach the conclusion of this, we'll be doing a retrospective on Mr. Lautner. I think we've done movies also, like, where the subject material is rough. Like, can you imagine, like, a movie like, like let's say, 12 Years a Slave, for example, if that was just filled with bad actors? Like how unpleasant it would be more so it would be to watch uh, another good example is this movie called fish tank with michael fassbender mm-hmm. yeah. the subject material of that movie is bad stuff but he and the lead female in it are so good that you want to see where it goes and you find yourself just kind of swept up in this movie uh shame and um What's the other one? Hunger, Steve McQueen. We'll just hit Steve McQueen's entire trilogy with this. His movies are not fun. His movies are not things that you watch to have a good time uh, and to you know be whisked away by the magic of filmmaking. But the acting is so good that you hang in there, and by the end of it, you usually feel something. Shame, uh, the second time around, is usually, wow, that wasn't as good as I thought it was. But the other two, <laughs> like... There's real things to feel. And I understand those movies tackle way heavier topics than Twilight. But the the point I'm trying to make is if you're good enough, you can bypass the writing and you can take an audience or a viewer's head and move what they're focusing on to a different place. And I think to me, the interesting part about this is because we were so quick to make fun and light about 
how rookie Pattinson and Stewart seem in the first Twilight, there's a noticeable improvement in both of their delivery yes. and like just presence in this movie. Did you get that too? Yeah, yeah. They don't have a. a I think partly because they've gotten out of the awkward part of the relationship, and I'm talking about the movie. You know, there's they don't longer they don't have to establish <laughs> that he's a vampire. They don't have to establish that she's an awkward girl. They they don't have to focus on those things, so they can just when it's them, the movie just gets to tell the story of what happens next on their relationship, and then that's another thing where I think another block that Taylor Lautner has to deal with on top of everything is that now we get to the really clumsy uh, exploration of what Jacob is as a character. <laughs> and mm. we already went through that with, with Bella and, and Edward. So I think that that doesn't help, but yeah, you're, you're right. I, it, it's that. And it's obviously, I think that they're just more comfortable as characters uh, with their characters. And, uh, yeah, overall, I mean, just based on these two movies and then what has happened later, you can tell that they're just, I guess, uh, you know, better crafts people, better actors. I want to say. It just feels so bad. I, I, I'm telling you, I can't get over how uh, bad I feel about Taylor Lautner, even though you're right. He's set for life. <laughs> <laughs> we have to keep checking ourselves on as he's. He's rich. He's fine. It's this isn't us kicking someone while they're down. If this was yeah. like you know Jacob Lloyd or something like that, that would be a different story. But yeah, but you're um, right. I mean, put Fassbender in the role of Jacob. I mean, it never happened just for age reasons, and also because I think that something that's important is that the movie is trying. I, I don't know what Jacob Lautner like. Is he Native American or is he just playing a Native American here or somebody that has Native American roots? Because that is question. that that limits the. You know, as far as like the casting, you know, you can't just say like, well, yeah, put Fassbender there. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but yeah, you need, you know, the Native American Fassbender in a way. And yeah, I would just be so much more invested. So I think that that is a factor. But I also think that maybe they miscalculated the way that you're telling the story. You know, I think that it's a mistake, regardless of who's playing Jacob. I think it's a mistake to write Edward off. I think that maybe it worked better in the book. I don't know if in the book you check on him more, but it's just, it just feels weird to write him off the movie and then bring him back at the end of the movie. I was glad that he was back, but then I also felt like, oh my God, it just feels like an extra 30 minutes that didn't need to be here. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know? And uh, there has to have been a better way. I know that there's a better way of getting to where they wanted to get without it feeling so fragmented. It's like there's very clearly this chunk that's with Edward, then this bigger chunk that's with Jacob, and then a smaller chunk that's with Edward at the end again. And it just feels choppy and it doesn't flow very well. And if I had to look back at New Moon and I, I would be like, what is this movie about? Oh, this movie is about getting us to Eclipse. <laughs> Whatever Eclipse is going to be. This was just like a lot of like shuffling the pieces and I guess getting to know Jacob, which is is kind of a bummer. Yeah, I, I mean, a, a stronger actor, a more charismatic actor would have been better but it's also it's hard because you you know one of the main things that this dude is doing from the very beginning is clearly pining and sort of making moves on someone else's girlfriend and that was just i i, I didn't like him then and then i just didn't like him when he was getting possessive i didn't like him when he was being that guy that's just like so hardcore obsessed with somebody that's not doesn't love him back that way like and all these are characters that you can play in a way that's more i guess relatable but for some reason you know Lunder is just not hitting those notes where i feel any sympathy for him <laughs> uh what you describe there is it's um i'm trying to think of like the person who watched this movie in reverse you know and they because my thing was uh the first time i ever watched parks and rec i started at the second season and I thought Mark Brandanowitz was like the coolest character. And then the second time I watched the show, I started with the first season. And that whole first season is just him trying to steal Anne away from Andy. And he's just yep. kind of an asshole. And I was like, wait, no, fuck this guy. So I'm trying to think like the, the person who watched this in reverse thinking that Jacob was the hero or something. Um, for this movie and for, you know, Taylor Lautner and for what it is, I think it was just they were stuck in this situation because they had already cast who was going to be around for the whole thing. And this movie, obviously the idea is Edward's not around for much of it. So 
for me, as someone who's invested at this point, and we're going to be watching the rest of these, I can only hope we take an upswing with the others. I know with the exception, the next one is like another 50 percenter. So maybe we'll be turning around on it. Go now. Make your preparations. Let us be done with this. Uh, to hit my points here, released November 20th of 2009, a budget of $50 million, and as I've stressed several times, $710 million box office return. Back when shit mattered, New Moon was released on DVD and Blu-ray, March 20th of 2010, through midnight release parties, and as of July 2012, the film had grossed almost $200 million in North American DVD sales, selling more than 8 million units, 4 million of which were sold within the first weekend. <laughs> it's, that's, um, that's how you make your money. The real money. It is was. Something. That's. I saw someone tweet the other day. It's like, there's not even bargain bins at Dollar General anymore. Now people just make movies that will sit on streaming services and no one ever watches. <laughs> sad but true dot mp3 oh you gotta dig deeper no that's yeah i know you're gonna try to keep the dream alive it's still there guys just have to dig deeper <laughs> um so uh i have one final point about the wolves before i start telling you about things that i actually thought were okay in this movie and that is that regardless of who's playing them the family of wolves is nowhere near as interesting as the Collins. Would you agree with no. that? No, no, yeah. I thought you were going to call out that the CG's bad, and <laughs> watching this, I my immediate thing is it. Avatar came out the same year. There's no excuse. Like I understand <laughs> that James Cameron, obviously his resources probably went a bit higher than Summit and uh, Chris White's, but he, I don't know that. I'm not saying use real wolves. I'm not saying <laughs> use animatronics necessarily, but there's uh, there's going to be a whole lot of movies from this time period when we were bleeding into the everything is CG era that people are going to look back and be like, well, that looks like shit. And Jimmy Cameron, <laughs> much like in the early 90s, the late 90s, and now the late 2000s will still be we'll be able to point to his movies and be like, well, he had the same shit and it looks okay. <laughs> like the, the CG in T2 looks better than the CG in this movie. Yeah. But I, I think that Chris White's and his people will tell you, okay, but it didn't need to look that good. That's, ex that's exactly the point. They, why <laughs> spend that money on that when the people watching this aren't going to give a shit about it? Yeah, he's, he'll be like, you know what? It was better looking wolves or getting Michael Sheen to play the main bad guy. <laughs> you would have made the same call. His immediate response would just be like, I, I can't hear you uh, over this pile of money that I'm sitting next to right now. <laughs> Please tell me again how you would have made my movie. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, no, those, those, those wolves, the family of wolves are just like generic shirtless dudes. And uh, I really hope they develop more of personality. See, the bigger the problem movie. is that the Cullens are also a, an ensemble of good to great actors. <laughs> and like <laughs> they make their characters interesting, whereas the uh, the wolves are just hunky dudes. Yep. And... Who knows where this is going to go, but if like the idea is we have to find both their stories interesting, I know which one I'm going to find far more than the other. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's just, I, I don't know. They're, they just got really shortchanged in that, in, in that side of the story. And I wonder if But again, that's... it's just like the CG thing, just like you're saying, that doesn't fucking matter to the people who paid to watch this movie. Like, it doesn't matter at all. And that's the whole thing with these... These movies were not made to be analyzed like this. No, but, but there is... Okay, so this is, I guess, my, my main like big question mark over my head right now. It's like, how is it possible that anybody watches these two movies, at least, and comes out of it going, oh, yeah, I'm Team Jacob? That's a good question. You know, there, there are some people that are choosing the, the blandness of Taylor Lautner and his shirtless posse over the, the far more interesting vampires. And that is just... 
I don't know. <laughs> does he do something like like I said? Does he do something incredibly cool in the next movie? I was about <laughs> to say, Eclipse starts with like this incredible bank heist by the the wolves, <laughs> <laughs> and then at the end, Jacob kills them all so he can yes. keep everything. <laughs> <laughs> he says, "No, I shoot the bus driver." <laughs> Please, please. <laughs> um, all right, good, good stuff. There, there's, there's a few things that I think we can rescue, and I, I, I think they already kind of came through in Contrarian's Corner. But uh, I think Michael Sheen is fantastic. <laughs> I was not expecting yes. him to be this good. He, he's just having a great time, really chewing that scenery, really owning that outlandish look that they give him. He was, he was great. Dakota Fanning, I mean, she gets maybe five minutes of screen time, but she already has more presence than Taylor Lautner. <laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, Billy Burke has maybe the best line in the movie. Maybe second best, depending on, you know, how I rank it against uh, Rosalie's uh, line about, you know, I wish somebody had given me the option. or I wish somebody had said no for me. Uh, and that is when Billy Burke is talking to... Charlie's talking to uh, to Bella, and he's kind of like, you like hanging out with Jacob, right? Like, I've noticed that you're happier now that you're finally out of your funk. And then he says, You know, sometimes you got to learn to love what's good for you. You know what I mean? Which is a pretty sweet sentiment and a good thing for a dad to tell his teenage daughter. I mean, obviously, he doesn't know the yeah. concept, like the context. And uh, yeah, if you look at the at the actual picture, it kind of sucks that he's trying. He's kind of encouraging her to go out with Taylor Lautner. But as a, as a generalization, that's a. I, I thought that was cool, and that was. A, I don't know, man. I, at least two movies in, I like that he. They haven't made his character this kind of dad that keeps getting in the way of the story progressing. Yeah. You know, if anything, I think that the movies are on the other side. Where, like, we're joking because there's corner. He seems very unaware of all the drama that's that's going on. But I kind of prefer that as opposed to him being this guy that's constantly trying to like, like he's not an obstacle that Bella and everybody else have to constantly like work around. You know, he's just more of a, a bystander that's just there <laughs> and doesn't know what's happening. And I, I I think kudos to Billy Burke because it, it's not like he gets a whole lot of things to do, but when he does them, I think he does really well at evoking that like single dad trying to raise a teenager feeling, and, and that makes him very, very uh, endearing. So that's uh, he's he's at the top of like characters I like in this franchise so far. That's very fair. Um, I thought the soundtrack was pretty good. Robert Pattinson once went on record as saying that he thought it was ahead of its time. I don't know about that, but I thought the soundtrack was good and did a good job of setting tone. And also it's become kind of a thing of the past where there's entire soundtracks assembled for movies. We talk about that a lot, but um, I guess I didn't realize that much work went into putting together a soundtrack for this. And I noticed it a lot more in this one. Yeah. That uh, was a, uh- Breakup playlist was pretty, pretty moody. <laughs> it's a little, little heavy on the Rascal Flats. <laughs> I was a big fan of the shot that was spinning. I don't know if it was one consecutive take that just had like CG in the background, but uh, whatever the case, it looked good. Where it was just spinning around her in that chair going through the months, I thought that was really cool. He's been doing that a lot in this movie. Chris White's, I don't know if you noticed, but there was at least three or four other times I felt where the camera was going around. It was never as effective as that moment where the months were passing and also mm-hmm. nowhere near as effective as the the one circular shot that I remember from the first movie that we that I called out when Edward's playing the piano and the camera kind of like goes through the window and all that. Uh, I think, I mean, Chris White's does okay, but unlike Twilight, I didn't feel like this felt like the distinctive work of a. It didn't have a distinctive voice. A distinctive voice where it honestly felt directionless in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like factory assembled. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, 
I mean, again, that's fine. You know, uh, I was like, jokes on us because it worked out for him. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I think that. I just think that what I know of his work before and after, it feels like that has more personality. Just like Twilight, seen as a Catherine Harwick movie, has that that personality that I don't find here. So, I mean, that's fine. It's not like he stuck around. <laughs> we get another new director next time. So he came in, got his money, gets those royalty checks. And uh, good for him. That's going to be interesting, man, to assess from a director to director vantage point or like um, approach almost. And I think so far what we've been able to establish is that Catherine Hardwick made a more approachable story for, you know, you and me watching it, Uh, you know. That movie was directed by a woman, screenplay by a woman, based on a book by a woman. So it could just be they they have the Midas touch when it comes to this story. I guess time will time will tell. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Chris Weiss would tell you, motherfucker, I had to I had to deal with the book that was all about Jacob. So cut me some slack. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I ended up at one and a half stars on my letterbox review. I this is gonna be like a D for me. Um I was like almost on the verge of being more harsh. But then at the end, when it goes back to like the vampire shit in Italy, I was like, all right, hell yeah, this is interesting again. So like it ended in kind of an exciting way. And I'm a sucker for a good cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. And I love the subverting of the expectations. When you think the cliffhanger is going to be that they square off, but then he actually, you know, proposes to her there. And I, I was being genuine in the first half. I remember just working the midnight for this and, you know, it was about to let out. So, I just went and watched that and just listened to the gasps and <laughs> just awestruck in silence that was deafening in the theater. And then those people were going nuts, which, again, um, that means something. This shit doesn't didn't mean anything to me at that time. I knew nothing about it, but that that means something. It's the you know, I can't stand the Marvel shit, but like that whole when you see those clips of people in theaters like clapping and yelling when something happens in a movie then it that means something to somebody at least so there's some merit to this movie that i give a d it's just this is you and me analyzing this as a movie man and it's not a good movie so uh and it's not like the first one was great but it was a step up from this and i can only hope that eclipse takes us again to uh, a better place and a more enjoyable place yeah, I, I feel the same way. And I think that it's, uh, I know this episode has been, a lot, there's been a lot of us plugging the, the episode we did on Patreon, but it, just because it was such a different experience in a way, you know, we we both kind of were pleasantly surprised by the fact that we had such a good time watching the first one, despite all its ridiculousness. And this one, I think the runtime has a lot to do with it, but also the fact that it's yeah. just, the, you know, the focus on a character that I didn't care about, played by an actor that doesn't quite have the, the charm to pull off that kind of character and uh, all the stuff we've been talking about. And yet, much like with Twilight, I, it ended, I'm like, all right, I want to see what happens next. I, I have faith yeah. in that. The, they introduce enough interesting story elements that I want to see what happens with those elements. I don't necessarily care about Jacob, but at least Jacob facing off against Edward, dealing with the fact that Bella is dating somebody he doesn't like, is a lot more interesting to me than Jacob just following Bell around like a puppy dog while she's still kind of using him as a as a rebound. You know, maybe Taylor Lautner can do something with the idea of Jacob being aggressive and just exploring his dark side if he has it. So, yeah, I'm also looking forward to clips. But, yeah, this is one and a half stars for me. Uh, all the good stuff is for the, the supporting characters that I really like. And those good lines are here and there. Overall, it's not a good movie and definitely not as good as Twilight. Yeah, and I think our place of um, or where we're coming from and continuously referencing the patron episode is like, hey, we're not all negative about this. You know, we're not just here to bury the Twilight franchise. We say some good stuff there. So, yeah, we actually came to this with an open mind. It's true. And hopefully we come back to saying some good stuff about it. But that's where we settle on New Moon. Twilight Eclipse will soon follow for our loyal patrons in the form of QVRs. And then we'll come back for the finale. Is that correct? Yes. We're going to do Breaking Dawn parts one and two in just one episode because the way it should be, (laughs) the way it should have been released. 
a mega episode. All right, Julio. So Twilight is in the it's on the back burner for right now. We've we've moved it to the the back of the rack and it's just kind of simmering in the meantime. So what are we putting on the flame? What's uh, what's boiling up for our main timeline next? Chaz Fisher wants to take us a few years back, further back than Twilight, to the year 1971, when a movie called Wake in Fright was released. And even though Rotten Tomatoes didn't exist back then, now it does, and it gives it 97% on the tomato meter. So Chaz has given us a fresh movie. The title makes it sound like it's a horror movie, but I could be wrong. I don't know anything about it. I just know the year it was released and it's Rotten Tomato score. The doctor's so, in it too. So... uh Dr. Sam Loomis, Donald Pleasance. Right. And one of the all-time actors in the the field of yeah, horror, psychological thriller, that type of thing. So, uh, yeah, I'll be interested to see what Wake and Fright holds. Looks like it's uh, based off a book by the same name from 1961. I can't remember if this is a movie I've heard of or it's just something that's come up in conversation uh, with Chaz before or it's just something I heard of for the first time when it was proposed for uh, us to cover. So either way, I'm excited. Always love when we go into something completely fresh for the both of us and even more so when it's an older movie because for the purposes of what we do here, you know, we focus a lot in contemporary shit. So I'm excited about this. Also, for all of you listeners that want to hear me talk about Batman Returns, well, I recorded a guest spot on The Pint, and uh, that should be dropping way before this episode even drops. So it should be there right now on their feed. Check it out. Uh, it was It's my favorite of the old Batman quadrilogy, I guess. And uh, I had a really fun discussion uh, about it with, uh, with The Pint's host, John. So uh, check it out. Tell him that uh, the contrarian sent you. All right. Well, Julio, I think we've covered all we can for now. I think it's about time to get on out of here. So we are going to move into our perennial plugs. Uh, we start off by giving thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand. Take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rothieser is a man behind our logo, behind all the graphics you see on our webpage, on our Patreon page, on our merch page, that little tomato looking at itself in the mirror, that's all Hans and all the variations of it as well. Uh, you can check out his work by going to his webpage, mildemonios.pe, that's M-I-L-D-M-O-N-I-O-S.pe. He is an artist, he's a podcaster, he has two shows, Nación Combi, which is about Peruvian career affairs, and Marginal, which is about economy. Uh, he's also a writer. He has a whole bunch of novels. A lot of them deal with zombies. I don't know that he's dipped his toe on the vampire or werewolf genre, but knowing Hans, I mean, why not? I'm sure he has an opinion about the Twilight Saga, and I'm sure he'll let us know once he listens to, to these episodes. But he's he's always been a, a big supporter of the show, and uh, we always thank him. Thank you, Hans. And thank you, too. The wonderful young lady who's brought us this project on Twilight, our social media czar, Zoe Perez, facebook.com slash contrarian prime, and on Instagram at contrarian prime. If you haven't already and you are on those social media platforms, be sure to give us a follow. You'll find video clips previewing upcoming episodes, audio clips uh, taken from current and uh, past episodes images, interactive graphics, all that good shit. Our social media game certainly looks professional, and that is because of the work Zoe does for us. So, Zoe, thank you oh so much. And thank y'all, the listening public, and any first-timers that just, you know, seek out anything and everything Twilight. Uh, if you've made it this far, we're greatly appreciative of it. But that is going to do it for this episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. <laughs>